All right, good morning, everyone. We are uh, we're a couple minutes behind. I promise to have you out of here on time, but I talk fast, and I would like to have a lot of interaction this morning, so um, we'll bear with me as I, I don't plan to hand out a microphone because uh, it takes a lot of time for somebody to run around. So just shout out when I ask a question. If you have a comment, um, just holler. I'll see you or raise your hand if you want to be more sophisticated. Um, but uh, if we will have a couple verses that will be read, and for that I'll hand out a mic. But otherwise, just please feel free to interact this morning. I don't expect this to be a lecture of any sort. Um, this is a topic, for one, that I'm still working on for myself, and I'm hoping that collectively we can, uh, we can get something out of this together. So before we start, uh, and, or to start, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're very grateful to Thee for the blessing that we have to be here at Eastern Camp, Father, to be set aside from all the distractions of this world and to be able to focus on Thee and Thy Word. Pray that as we have sought Thee in this week to, to seek holiness for our, for our lives and for the lives of our, our, our faith, Father, and for our congregations, Lord, pray that Thy Spirit would continue to work with us even in this discussion that we'd have this morning to see where we individually um, have work in our lives that needs to be done and so that we can be the reflection that You'd have for us. Bless us now as we would uh, partake of this and be with us in all that we would do and say. We'll thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the topic is who am I? And for some of you, if you monitor what your kids see at Eastern Camp, um, you, this may look familiar to me, familiar to you. Uh, there was a forum last year for the teens that was along these lines. I promise this isn't going to be the same thing. Some of the photos, some of the... Um, Graphics are the same, but what we looked at with the teens last year was trying to find their personal identity and showing that their personal identity needed to be in, in a relationship with Christ. For us as adults, um, in most cases as believers, that means something a little bit different. It, it, it's, a deeper, uh, it's a deeper conversation that we need to have. And the reason that this was brought up when I was asked to do this forum, um, the the background or the blurb that I was given had to do with what we project to those around us, what we show the rest of the world, how we interact with people. Um, so at camp, we have, oh, better turn this on. At camp, everybody's running around with one of these. Everybody's got a name tag. How many times this week have you wanted to go up to somebody and flip their name tag around? Yeah. <laughs> right? So then, this is the other example that I realized I was getting old, um, is it used to be uh, people would ask me, who are your parents? And that usually answered the question of who I belong to, right? Or who you be? Well, who do you belong to? Um, it used to be that just answering the question of who my parents were, that, that got it across. If that didn't work, then they would want to know which side of the Freud friend line I sit on. And I, well, I'm on the, the Bob side of the tree, not the George side of the tree. Well, I had one the other day where my son, somebody asked him who he was. And he says, well, I'm Ethan Freund. He says, well, who's your dad? Well, Michael Freund. Well, who's his dad? And that's when Ethan has to say things like, well, it's, it's Papa. Well, that doesn't. And then it's, well, it's Opa. Well, that doesn't help either. And so to watch your kids try to figure out, okay, well, where, where do you land on this line? Um, we all have this identifier here that, that says who we are. Um, sometimes I think that we reverse the, the, the font size, right? Like at camp, it's, it, we don't care what your first name is. We want to know who you are. Who, and who you are is that last name. Who do you belong to? And then when we see a name that we don't recognize, it's like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. What's your church? Let, let's start there. Where did you come from? Um, and, and sometimes that doesn't even answer all the questions for us. But for for. Eastern campers and apostolic Christians, um, our name says a lot about us. And we gauge a lot by just who we identify on that, on that name tag. Um, but if we're trying to get information about uh, others or in the world today, this is a little bit of a transition, but um, where do you go to get news? Give me some examples. What, what are the news sources that you go to to get your news? Facebook? Okay. This is great. I didn't plant her, but wait till you see the next couple of slides. Facebook, the internet, the radio, the Wall Street Journal. Okay. 
Google news from friends. <laughs> Telephone or tell Myrtle. <laughs> I was thinking, I, I'm, I'm shocked, right? I, I'm shocked. I expected, uh, well, no, in this group I did not expect, expect MSNBC. I did not expect CNN, but I expected Fox News. So, oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. Just shout it out. I expected Fox News. The other one I expected was the Daily Wire. I expected Ben Shapiro at some point. Um, Breitbart. <laughs> I expected those kind of things, because that's the circle that we roll in. Um, and I'm not... Well, you, do you see them on Facebook, I promise. Yeah, they, they scroll past you in Facebook, I'm sure. But what I would like to look at today is, because those things say something about us, and what I want to look at is, is some, of the, some of the associations that are involved with us. Now, I, forgive me, this is going to happen a couple of times. I am running a computer up there with this and taking my notes, or reading my notes on this. So it's going to be a little bit jumbled up, but if you could have seen the panic attack I had about an hour ago, you'll know why this is a godsend that my dad brought a pointer to camp. I am who I profess to, or am I who I profess to be is one question that I want to ask us to answer this morning. Am I who I profess to be? We all think we have a pretty good um, sense of our identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. We are, um, as a general, generality, I'll say, we are conservative, uh, apostolic Christians. Politically, we are probably more conservative than we are liberal. Again, big generalities, but let me go there. But the question that I want us to think about today is, am I who I am called to be? And are those things the same? As a believer, those things should be the same, but the question for myself that I've noticed even in the last couple of years is that there seems to be a line between those two, and that's not good. What we're going to try to do today is, is identify those things, but we've got to start somewhere. How would I find out who you are, short of that name tag that I showed at the, the beginning, and short of the joking about where do you land on somebody's family tree, how do I find out who you are? What makes you up? Talk to somebody? Okay. That's a perfect answer. Go ahead. Okay. Your appearance is the first thing that says who you are. Your Facebook profile will tell you a lot. Again, I didn't plant her, but just wait. Sit. Okay, try to keep a list of things you do every day to, see who, to find out who you are. Okay, thank you. Oh, how do you find out was the next thing. I didn't plan her, but this was in there beforehand. How many of you, you don't even have to raise your hands because I'm pretty sure, if you have a Facebook profile or an Instagram profile, or when I did this last year, I used the same slide, and I realized that something was missing in this. In this group, you may not notice, but what, what's missing? Snapchat. I did a Tuesday forum last year, and I showed this graphic to one of the teams, and they went, well, we don't use any of those things. And I'm like, it's a 2017 photo. Like, how did not? And so I had to go search. I downloaded Inst or Snapchat and got lost in it and said, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. And so I just talked about it. Um, and mercifully, one of the young men there last year talked, said that he still had a MySpace account. And that made me feel like I was not quite as old as I thought I was. But if you want to find out something about somebody, maybe more in this room than the teens, you're going to be able to go to any, one, any number of these things and see what. What are you going to find in those profiles? Their interests? Okay. What else? Where they ate last night? Okay. What people want you to know about them. Again, not a plant, but you'll see where we're going. Say it one more time. Their highlight reel. And I think you said MySpace last year, right? No, well, somebody that looked like you. <laughs> it looked like you. I'm sorry. Oh, again, I didn't plan her. She has two accounts. One is for business and one is for pleasure, right? Family. Family. I'm sorry, not for pleasure. <laughs> but fam, fam, Omi says family is pleasure. Absolutely. But how funny is that, that we do, we do have two, right? In many cases, we have two. I love the times that I see, uh, I won't pick any of these people by name. Well, I'll just make up names. Um, Sam and Susie Smith is the profile name. 
But then, oh, Sam still has a profile, and Susie still has a profile, and then they tag each other in the things, and so now three people have liked the same photo when it's still just the same person posting. But this kind of thing here has some uh, ha has uh, positives and negatives. What are the positives of sharing who we are or finding out who we are in this kind of setting? What are some of the positive things that would come out of that? People with your interests know where to find you. Okay, thanks. It's instant. Okay. I bet if, well, go ahead. Geographic distance is not an issue. Sure. Platforms. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. That's your platform and how you go about speaking your message. How many of you, uh, again, here are the hard questions, right? How, how to get the answer that you want without embarrassing somebody. Um, how many of you have seen a post of a wife or husband, and I'll give Tom the credit for this because he gave me this idea yesterday. How many of you have seen a post of a wife or husband complimenting their wife or husband on their anniversary? How many of you think they have a perfect marriage? How many of you think they had an argument earlier that morning? <laughs> or better yet, how many of you think they had an argument later that night when the one who doesn't have the profile finds out that they were posted about on Facebook. You mean to tell me that you told the whole world that I'm the greatest wife on the face of the earth? or what? I don't know. They're much flowery. If you can tell, I was thinking about this this morning and I didn't log into my account. I don't believe I've ever done that, but my profile's not private, so if you call me a hypocrite later, that's fine, because I don't think in nine years I have, but I'm not starting today either after I made these statements. But... We say things that we want to project. When Matt said, these are the things that we want folks to see about us, want to hear about us, want to think about us. I have done it a couple of times on an Easter, right? The kids get dressed up for Easter. You take a picture of them at church. It's the one time they haven't had schmutz all over them all day, that everybody's tucked in and everything's perfect. And you take the picture and you say, hashtag blessed. And everybody said, these are the most beautiful children that you've, I, I can't believe it. Uh, I, how come I'm sitting at home watching my friends do this? I say, how come my kids don't look like that? Or they're the same thing about me. Then we show up to camp and everybody goes, oh, <laughs> filters, <laughs> filters. We've got so many filters that we want to scrape out all the stuff that we don't want anybody else to see. But what we're doing is giving a false sense of our own identity. Uh, in some cases, how many Again, I'm not going to say how many, I'll keep using that, how many times. But I can imagine that we've all seen them, because I've seen them, where someone is going through a, an incredibly trying time and just puts a very cryptic message up on Facebook. Uh, I can't even think of an example. But something that would cause you to worry that there is something gravely dangerous or that they're in a terrible state, but they don't give you any more information. And so... Everybody's freaking out that there's somebody that's either suicidal or has a stomach ache, and you don't know where in between that might actually result, where, where, where you land. And so we, we sometimes have these false senses of humility or an impression that something is going on there that is not the real reality. Bad way of saying it. Um, I, just have, I just did remember, when I was engaged, and you'll see this if you ever look, there were, when Facebook first came out, it would said, Michael Freund is, and then it gave you a blank, Right? That was your status. You're supposed to give your status. Well, when I was new to Facebook, I thought, okay, this is what, you, what am I right now? I got engaged. Michael Freund is smiling. Michael Freund is happy. And it was all of these things. And I look at these now, and it's like, oh, you're reminded that nine years ago, at this moment, you were happy. You're like, what in the world was I happy about? <laughs> I'm sitting at my desk at work, and it's like, if they asked me that today, it wouldn't be the same answer. Not because of Ashley, but because of whatever's going on at work. But we have this thing. None of you. None of you can say, I mean, there are a thousand people at camp. You've walked around camp. How many of you have said, I don't know half the people at camp this year? Or you probably do, you just, you know them in the sense that you know what tree they belong to, but you don't know their actual name. Or this is, and it's, sorry, the projector's tough, but Instagram. This is what you see on Instagram. This is really what it looked like before the filters. I was hoping Brother Andy's in here. I don't know if he is. But this one made me laugh because I think he has this van. <laughs> Before Instagram, we just parked at the grocery store. Now we're Michael Schumacher going around in a, you know, early 
2000's uh, Toyota Sienna. This is what we show to the world. And when you don't do this, you get to say, hashtag no filters, that my life is actually as perfect as it looks. Now, I'm going to be political for a second. Because a lot of you, and I know because I have friends in the room, a lot of you share a lot of political things. Um, how many have you, of you have seen these kind of just political jokes going back and forth now? You know, there's nothing wrong with this particular one, but we land on one side or the other. The next slide, I'm going to just explain it because it obviously came out really badly with the low resolution. But on this side, you've got a lady that's praying next to a cross and it says, Dear God, please protect the children. On this side, you've got a, a T for Trump and it says, uh, Dear God, please protect Roy Moore. You Canadians might not know who Roy Moore is and if you're not really political, you may not either. But this is another one where how do we... What are we connected with by what we show the world? I like to listen to Ben Shapiro, and I'm not just calling him out. I really don't disagree with many things he says. I, I agree mostly with him. But when you look at those things on Facebook, when you click like, when you share, when you post, any of those kind of things, Instagram, Facebook, I'll use it interchangeably, you're going to be given more of the same. The, computer, the, the algorithms are pretty smart at this point. Whatever you look at, that's what you're going to be given more of. How many of you would unfriend me if that was posted on my page? You don't have to raise your hand. It says, never, hashtag never Trump, actually make, great, make America great again. If I posted it on my page, I bet you half of my friends would either send me a text or unfriend me. But then if I put this back up later in the afternoon, I'd, it would all be good and I'd be back in their good graces. What I'm trying to point to is that we have these associations that I don't know if we always appreciate or if we always recognize. Um, I know of a particular individual. I won't even say whether it's a brother or sister. I know of a particular individual who is one of the sweetest people you could ever hope to know. And yet, if you watch their Facebook profile, you would think that they are the executive director of Breitbart, that they are Ben Shapiro's executive secretary, that they are the trumpeter for the religious I mean, the most aggressive, the most in-your-face, the most out, out there, um, dare I say, unloving, conservative political posts you can find. But what I know is that that person is not like that, and yet, the click happiness of it shows up and you wonder what on earth is going on. In a similar fashion, how many of you, this is another example I was given yesterday, when you see somebody standing with their, a picture on their Facebook page or Instagram holding a glass of wine, having a nice time, how many of you just assume that that's probably not the first one they've had that day and probably not the last one they're going to have that night? Right? I have one of those. I and my wife and my cousin went wine tasting in Syracuse or just around Syracuse about eight years ago and there's a picture of the three of us standing with glasses of wine on a that's the second tasting that I had that day and the last one that I had for the day and yet if you look at it you wouldn't expect that you're automatically assuming that that person that posted that well if you're going to show that to the world then you've got to be a lush in the same way that and this is probably more reasonable with all the boat pictures that I or my dad posts we are a little bit obsessed with it with all of the SU basketball athletic stuff that I post, I'm probably a little bit obsessed with it. Yeah, maybe, you know what, look at your profile. That might give you an indication of what you associate a little bit too much with. But let's get a little closer to home. We're at camp. How many of you would share all kinds of spiritual things and think that you're doing, no, not think, intend to be encouraging to all your brothers and sisters, your friends, here's the verse that was shared with me this morning. I have a verse a day uh, that shows up on my phone. I've often shared that. How many of you will take what a, what a religious scholar has said, one of our founders of faith, fathers of faith, and shared that with the world? This is, this is what I'm studying today. This is what, how the Lord spoke to me. And we shared and we project it because what we read and what we posted wasn't bad in, in any way. But then like I do when somebody, I'm going to pick on David, if David posts something, I agree with David on everything. I mean, I would trust him with, with my life. 
So, of course, if he agrees with it, then I agree with it. I click on what he clicked on, and we go three steps down, and I go, well, wait a second. But that's a little bit different than what was posted here. Do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? That's Freilich. That's John Calvin. But it's real easy. I mean, okay, they don't look that much alike. But it's very easy to take those things where there is no issue. There's no problem. There's nothing wrong with what you showed. But it has an implication with it. It has something connected with it. Could be the, the best sermon that you've ever heard. It could have been a, a 90 seconds of a particular pastor that you put up there and showed everybody. And there's nothing wrong with that 90 seconds. But it causes you to encourage somebody else to go, oh, we'll go take a look at this guy. Well, you know what? The other 29 and a half minutes of what he was preaching about had some issues with it had some things that we wouldn't espouse ourselves to. We're not Freilichans. That's not what I'm trying to say. But when we're not careful about what we're looking at and not careful about, we may be careful for ourselves, but are we careful about what we're showing to everyone else and sharing with, other one, uh, with others? Because what we may not recognize is that those things that we share and project are what others see of us and take from us. Social risk. I mean, this is, not a, this is not a social media forum. I didn't intend it to be. But the jumping off point, because that's in our modern culture, that's the place where we find uh, a lot of the information about us and about our loved ones. Um, are there really risks in social media? In this group, I, wouldn't, I don't think I would get anybody to tell me, no, it's the greatest place in the world. You don't have to worry about any of it. We all know that. We all know that. And I could have taken the time to show you all the studies, but it's ridiculous how many studies exist now that talk about all of the mental, um, not disorders, but all of the emotional struggles and all of the consequences that take place because of some of the interactions that take place in cyberspace. Um, studies talk about depression in, um, study was done, and I can't remember the date off the top of my head right now, but there was a 10-year period where studies were done over children that were exposed from the age of 5 to 15 to social media. And what they found, the results were that even in a 5-year-old, which was crazy to me because I have a 6-year-old, that bouts of depression were five times more likely with children that were exposed to social media, uh, and, and they gave a, a, a number of how many times a day and so on. But isolation of being another one. How many of you, because this has happened to me, how many of you have gone up to somebody at camp today, or this week, and said something to the effect of, oh, it's so nice to see you. I don't think we've ever met, but we've been friends on Facebook. Maybe it hasn't happened to you. It's definitely happened to me. Or if I haven't been bold enough to say that, I've had that awkward moment where they come and introduce themselves to me, and I go, oh, yeah, wait a second. I know, I know you. I know, where you're on I know where you went on vacation last year. Um, I saw you with the wine at the winery. You know, I, I know more about you than you want me to know. It happens, and yet we have these feats of isolation where we don't feel connected, and so we stay in there longer, and we try to associate more, and we try to grab in more friends, like the, you know you don't really have 560 friends. Anxiety. When you see that somebody else is posting about how good their anniversary was, how does that make you feel about your marriage? When you see that their kids never get any schmutz on them, that they're always clean and proper and they have the nicest clothes and that baby doesn't seem to be crying. There's a new baby in Syracuse. My niece is born. I know she cries. But if you watch on Facebook, all she does is coo. Um, in the same way, Max is very smiley. He's out there screaming right now. So you know that the smiling and the screaming, I only show you the smiling. You've got to come to camp to see the screaming. Aggression. That sweet, sweet individual who makes it look like she's one step, ah, I said it's a she, one step on this side of a fascist? I mean, you've got to be careful. Self-loathing, self-loathing. How much with the depression, how many times have you looked at those things and felt depressed about yourself? How many of you have counted the likes and shares that you get with a photo that you post? How many of you have looked at a concerning, there, you know, there's a, 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 some friends of mine that post about a, a son that has cancer. And I read the posts every time. But I check every time, by nature now, to see how many times that was shared, to see how many times that was liked, 
Why was this one liked more than that one was liked? Why did they focus on this piece and not on that piece? Yeah. Yeah. So that's great for the recording. The photo that was posted here that was liked the most times in the past year was of her mom and dad, not of, of her. And that's a testimony to some good friends. I wish mine was like that all the time. Abuse. I mean, I'm just going to fire through the last ones. We get to, to, to criminal activity in some cases. Going after people, finding you know, kids being abused and, and um, uh, hunted effectively through social media. So setting that aside for a second and going the next step further, what about in church? Who are we in our congregations? Are we the same as when we walk out the door? One thing that I think we struggle with sometimes in our own churches, it's kind of like a family, right? You only hurt the ones you love. That you're the hardest and the most intolerant with your family. Your friends, you don't really get all that riled up or worked up about. But we show an aggression or an intolerance in, in our churches that we wouldn't do in other places. Or we show a piety that really doesn't exist there. That we come into church looking all prim and proper and the kids sit nice. You know, we may not have heard a sermon in the last six months because we're more concerned with making sure the kids are playing with their Legos quietly and making sure that nobody's going to be disappointed or disapprove of what the Freund kids in this case are, are doing at church on Sunday. The devil doesn't care if you go to church or you read your Bible as long as you don't apply it to your life. Anybody know what a rhino is? Not an animal. What's a rhino? A Republican in name only. I don't know if this is something that's commonly known, but I'm going to call it a chino. A, what's a, a Christian in name only? I could say Sino or whatever, but chino seems cooler. A Christian in name only. How many of our lives exist as Christians in name only? People ask you who you are. Well, I'm a Christian. Like we wear the name tag. Like this thing says, I'm Mike Freund, I'm a Christian. I've got this dot because that's who I am. The, the question that this whole discussion has left me with is how do we navigate our perception of who we are versus our desire for who we want to be versus the reality of who we actually are? Because let's just be honest with ourselves. There's three different things there. Where, depending on where you sit on the emotional scale or where you sit on the personality profile scale, you're going to find yourself on one quadrant. Either you think you're somebody better than you are, you think you're somebody less than you are, or you're close to what your reality is. But our desire is that we can take a look at this and get some self-awareness so that when we see ourselves in the mirror, it's not shocking, right? That somebody standing behind us is not looking like, well, you've all seen it. You've watched people probably here at camp already, maybe even doing it now, saying, how in the world did they walk out of the house looking like that today? What's wrong with their mirror that they put that on? And you know what? I think it happens to us, whether we like to admit it or not. We think we, have, we think we have a good sense of who we are. In this case, obviously a lot bigger than what we, what we are in reality. So what I'd like to do is, if you saw in the, in the book, the question that Jesus asked to his disciples was, who do men say that I am? And what I think I'd like us to do is to take a look and see, who do men say that we are? And to do that, we're going to look at what the world, what does the world say? The world says that we are the sum of these things. We are our, the sum of our abilities, our behavior, our traits, standing, feelings, role, reputation, all those things. That's what makes us, makes up who we are. But as believers, sorry, the, that, talking about in that case what we wear, what we put on, what our platform is. But as believers, we know that we have a different makeup. We have a different standing. We have a calling that we've been called out of this world to be someone else, to take off the old nature and to put on Christ. And to do that, what I'd like us to do is to, see, to talk about what we see or what we should see before who we see. I know that's a little bit ambiguous. But in Scripture, we have some examples that work very well to describe what this relationship should look like, what, what God's intent for us is. If we look at the reaction, we're going to talk about what do you see and then what should you see. So if I can have somebody right off the bat, uh, look up Galatians 5, 22 through 26, please. And then while we're at it, somebody else, please look up Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. Who's got the Galatians one? Sir Tom's got a, a mic here. This is the only part that I think we'll really record because 
it's the verses part. It's more important. Brother Tom, uh, Mike B here, please. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you very much. And whoever has the next reference, just raise your hand and he'll bring you the mic. How, I mean, how familiar are these things to us? Right? These should be, we've had VBSs about this. We've had forums about this. This is one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. When the world sees us, what should they see? Should they not see the fruit of the Spirit? Should they not see love permeating from us? In our class the other day, we talked about happiness um, versus holiness. And what we really were drawn to is the fact that happiness really, that's an emotion. But joy is a state of being. Joy is a gift of the Spirit. And if that's not permeating my life, then something's missing. And that something is my ability to allow the Spirit to reign in my life. Peace. You know, how often do we have uh, anxieties and emotions that overtake us? And that's okay in the moment, but can we point to peace and patience and kindness and goodness in our lives that shows that the Holy Spirit has control of us and is that which is permeating every measure of our lives? Well, the question that I was left with this, okay, is this is what, it, what should be seen. How do I get there? Okay, obviously being one who walks in the Spirit is the main point. But what are some tools and things that we could do Sorry, self-control, I wasn't hiding that, but just figured that that needs to come too. What are some tools at our disposal that we can use to make that happen? Who has the Ephesians uh, passage? Who's got? Oh, Brother Bob over here, please. Uh, 6.14 to 17. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the spirit, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Sorry, and I think I cut you off before belt of truth, but we're good. We'll take it. Thank you very much. This is another one that's so simple. I put it on the, the slides and I'm thinking they're going to go a duh. Like this is an a duh moment. That the armor of God is that aspect, it's that five-step program that we've been given that touches on every aspect of our lives to help and protect us as we walk out to try to project the fruits of the Spirit to all those that we would encounter. And yet, in my life, at different times, pieces of this are missing. If my honesty is lacking, well, you know, the belt of truth didn't fit so well that day and it was a little tight, so I left it behind. And the sword was heavy, so I set it on the side. And, you know, I'm not really going to encounter anything that was really aggressive or dangerous today, so I'll just leave it aside. Life has been pretty peaceful. The kids are good. My wife's amazing. Shoes of peace. Well, I'm not really worried about it. I'll keep righteousness. You know, breastplate of righteousness is okay. But always have the helmet of salvation. Never going to leave that behind. I would never walk away from that. But if we check our reflection, what do we see? There was an analogy, I'm not taking credit for myself, somebody else said it, but what shocked me, made me laugh, and was incredibly convicting all at the same time is, how many of us are Christian streakers? You know what a streaker is? Yeah, somebody running around with nothing on, running around naked. Yeah, I mentioned this in our class the other day, and I give Eric the credit, he says, uh, like, running around in your spiritual gotchas. If the only thing that you put on in the morning is the helmet of salvation, how ridiculous are you going to look? If that's the only thing and you're streaking across the football field of life and all you've got is the helmet of salvation and then you start questioning why there's stumbling and fumbling and everybody's laughing at you because you say you're a Christian, but the rest of those fruits of the Spirit don't seem to be there. The truth is gone, the, the, the sword of the Spirit's gone, the breastplate of righteousness fell off because there's nothing else to hold it up. How many of us exist in this world and in our, li in our spiritual lives running around like faith streakers because we don't have the discipline or the commitment to stay with the Lord and to understand exactly who He wants us to be? 
Who are we called to be? Have you ever thought of yourself as a slave? We would never think of ourselves that way, right? But if you read, in, if we read in Romans, and I'll read this piece, Romans 6, 20 to 22, it says, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and having servants to God, and having become servants to God, ye have your fruit in holiness and in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you, the King James talks about it as, as servants to, uh, to righteousness. But if you actually look at it in the Greek translation and, in, and a number of other modern translations, it talks about that directly translating to slaves. To those that have been freed from the bonds of, uh, of sin and shame as believers walking in this world today, we don't like that analogy very much. When you think of some of the tenets of the, the Muslim faith with the dedication that they have and the organization that at this and this time that they're going to do this prayer, that they're going to live their lives in this stringent, stringent way, we talk about victory. We say, you don't have to do that. You've been freed. You don't have any need to be tied to the bonds of, of that kind of regimental living anymore. And yet, the Apostle Paul comes back and says, you know, no, no, you were slaves to sin, but because of the work that Christ did, now you have been redeemed to be slaves to righteousness. And it doesn't seem comfortable, it doesn't seem all that nice, but what, if we look at it and we analyze what he's actually saying, he's saying that you are dead to sin. Now you are dead to sin, and because of that, you can be alive unto Christ, which allows for our complete surrender coming into us, our complete surrender, forsaking all that, that tied us down before, allows God's indwelling empowerment. The function of this taking place has to be setting aside all those things that we projected to everybody else, throwing that away, and allowing that empty, open space, now purified and cleansed by the Lord, to be available for His indwellment and for us to be redeemed into His righteousness and to be His servants and slaves. But He said something else, too. The other one that, in Philippians 2, and again, I'm just going to read them because I've still got the mic. Philippians chapter 2, sorry, I don't have it on here, verse 5 through 7, 11. Well, we'll read that too. Thanks. Uh, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and everything that is in heaven and everything that is on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says that let this mind be in you. In the beginning of that, he talks about fulfilling the joy of Christ. But let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let Christ's mindset be in you. And then he gives a description. What does the description say about how that mindset can be in us? What did he break down when he was describing this to them? Say it again. Humility. In every sense of the word and to every extent, humility. God who sat on thrones in heaven found it necessary to send his son down here he didn't come as a king he didn't come as a ruler he didn't come as he came as the lowest of the low to redeem the lowest of the low and if he would do that with the measure of love and humility that that took if we're supposed to put that mind have that mind be in us how does that work with the mindset that we now and the heart set and the existence that we have in this day and age this modern day and age to project who we are, and what we want others to see. This, again, the the slide's not that great. This is a mason jar. There's a guy stuck inside this mason jar. And he's got the lid, and he's pressing on the top of the lid. There's a a law, a, a leadership law that John Maxwell uses that says that the capacity of a team to succeed is limited by their leader. That the the ability for a group to succeed is limited by 
the potential or the, you say it, it's much better when you say it. Just give me the law. Yeah. Thank you. That their, their growth potential is limited by the leadership abilities of the leader. Thank you. I should have done that months ago when I wrote this all up. In a similar sense, I propose that the ability for a believer to be used is, the, is limited by the level of pride in their lives. That the ability for a believer to be used is, if you want to use it the other way, is limited by the amount or is only available to the amount of humility that's in their lives. And the way I saw this was if there's just a whole chunk of pride sitting on the top of this thing, that guy can't bust the top off of it. But what we've been called to is something completely different. Do we tighten the lid, though? What I was questioning was, you know, each of us, if we look at our lives like this jar, that we've got all these things in it, take the jar and just use, use your profile, use your photo albums if you don't have a Facebook profile, use all those things that you cherish and that you call your identity and you call important to you, and throw them inside that jar. Throw them inside that jar, and that jar is you. How many of us tighten the lid because we don't want anything else to, to, to fall out? We don't want to lose any of those things. We don't want any of those things to be contaminated. We don't want any of those things to go awry. We want to be the contents of what we've built. We want people to see us the way that we've projected. We want others to see us the way that we've designed, we've engineered our lives. When we take a photo of the house, when you take a photo of your kids, I'm a father of three, when we take a photo of the kids, they're doing something cute. How many of you look at the camera Look to the sides to make sure that there's nothing messy, no dust bunny, you know, tumbleweeds going through the, the background. You, you frame that thing so you're showing just exactly what you want and nothing else. And how many of us have tightened the lid of our lives so that there can't be anything else that gets in there that messes up the perfect projection of what we want? But what we've been called to be is vessels of, well, it should have somebody read it for me. Actually, I'll read it for you. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. God is not so concerned with the contents of the jar. He's concerned with the jar. If we are the vessel, he's concerned with the vessel. He, doesn't, he will give us the contents we need. He'll give us the attributes we need to be used by him. But what he wants to do is to have a vessel that he can fill with his spirit. Does he just want to fill it with his spirit so that we can consume it upon ourselves? Does he just want that to be something that we can say, okay, no, now, my, now I got rid of the nasty stuff. I got rid of, well, it's not so nasty. I got rid of the mic part of it. And I've got the whole stack of the spirit. I'm going to put the lid on it. Do we take our, do we take our tentative faith with the laying on of hands and saying, well, that's the kind of thing. I'm, I'm screwing the lid of the spirit on here and we're not going to do anything else with it. That's not what we've been called to. We've been called to be living waters, being poured out to all those that we would encounter. That pure water would flow from him through us to the world around us. That there wouldn't be a lid of our own righteousness or a lid of our own preference or those kind of things trying to take over all that we would encounter, but that we would be pure passage of the Spirit from God through us to the world around us because we've been called to serve. We've been called to be those that would wash feet. We've been called to be those that would reach the brokenhearted, that would pull those up. And in many ways and in all kinds of aspects of our lives, we already do that. I, this is not, my intent this morning was not to drop a hammer on anybody. We do these things. But my concern and the conviction that I had even for myself was is the rest of my life, the peace that everybody sees, the projection of who I am, is it clouding some of that? Are the things in the jar that are not allowing the full presence of the Spirit? Are the things in the jar that are not allowing the Spirit to have full free flow, bad run on F words there, um, through my life to the rest of the world around me? Too often, that's what we do. We show up at any, uh, any point in our lives and we're happy to tell people we're a Christian. We're happy to slap a sticker on it. You know, you can buy them at Staples, you write your name and on the bottom of it, I'm a Christian. That doesn't do the world a hill of beans good. It doesn't. There's no, no one gets anything out of just the fact that they know you're a Christian. Just because in your status, 
on Facebook, it says redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just because you can share on Christmas, let's remember the true reason for the season. Those are all good things. I'm not throwing stones. But if that's all we're doing, then that's all they're seeing. And our lives are to be lives of action. Our lives are to be lives of involvement and engagement with the world around us. And that's not so comfortable. Just in the same way, it's easier to like somebody's photo or to type underneath their prayer request, I'm praying for you. It's much easier to do that than to walk over to that brother and sister when you see them crying after inspiration time and ask how you might be able to help them or just to sit there and pray with them. These things that we've allowed into our culture, into our, our, our modern day, are great. There are aspects of it that I don't think we even appreciate it enough. The capacity for us to contact and reach out is incredible. But if we don't do those things with the lens of the teachings that the Apostle Paul gave us through inspiration of the Spirit, then we're missing out on something. And we very quickly just become benign. And it, there isn't any meat to it. It's easy to put things up on a screen. It's easy to just short, throw, throw and cast a wide net and say, here's what all the world needs to see. But to actually go out and to engage and to, to wash feet, to pick those up that are in the gutter, that, that need salvation, that need comfort, that need one of those fruits to be evident in their, life, in their lives because the Spirit of God is saying to you that they have a need. That's what we're here for. I love the old song. You know, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take every aspect of it. Take the stuff I'm proud of and the stuff I'm working on. Mold me and make me in the way that You would have me to be. Who are we going to be? Who will You be? I mean, the joke is that the, there's a... I don't know if this is just a story that got passed around my house, but... At Massanetta Springs, they, everybody was in cabins. I don't remember staying there, but I remember I went and drove around a couple years ago and heard that there were some young men that were getting in trouble. They were throwing rocks or bottles or something. I don't know, but they were in the woods. And the dean goes yelling at him and says, I know who you are. Who you be? Couldn't see him. I Basically to say, I know you're in there somewhere, but who are you? Don't we want the world to say, like, okay, I know who you are, but, but who are you? Really, who are you? Who are you going to be to the world around you? We ended a little bit early because I'd like to get some, some feedback. Um, this is, like I said, I didn't intend this to be a hammer over the top of anybody's head. But any encouragements, experiences that you've made over the, the years with connecting beyond some of the superficial that we were trying to talk about this morning. And again, I won't pass the mic, but I'll just repeat. Go ahead. Just keep going. <laughs> and um, she doesn't go to church. She has a really, really troubled life. She's got a daughter in prison for accidental murder of a stepchild. She's got another daughter who's a drug addict with um, three children, two of which now Debbie is raising, a four- and five-year-old. Um, and then she got sick in the hospital, thought she was having a heart attack, and it turned out to be her pancreas. And anyway, long that was the long story. But all of a sudden, she's, she's been checking in with me to tell me what her blood sugars are and her blood pressure is and what she's eating. So um, she said to me all of a sudden, you know, you're really a godsend. She never talks about God. She doesn't know who God is. So I messaged her back and I said, I would rather you thank God that you're getting well than call me a godsend because... This is God's work, not my work. Thank you very much. Taking what aspects of this that I was kind of complaining about this morning and being able to use it to the Lord's greater work. Oh, oh. No, it's back there. Sorry. I just have a question um, in regards to Facebook um, posts. I've been seeing a lot of my friends, um, either with the Republican 
posting or sharing things about um, our right to carry guns as as Americans, and I'm just wondering, what is my responsibility? Do I have a responsibility in that, or is it just something that I should ignore? Like, I don't want to be going to everybody and be like, I saw that you posted this, so why? Um, but I'm just wondering, in this age, what is our responsibility for that? Thank you very much. I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to put that out to everybody else. But I will say that I've had exactly the same question. And I've watched debates start between folks, who, one who decided to confront it. The question was, when you see believers, some might even be here, saying that, you know, that our right to bear arms is our right. Any thoughts? It is our right. Yep. It's our right, but we also have the right to choose not to, okay? Did I hear another one? Okay, rather than having multiple posts and everybody gets involved, do it privately. Yeah. There is private message. He can show you where it is. And nothing better than face-to-face. -face. Amen to that. Right. Yeah, so this is a right that has nothing to do with being a Christian. He said this is a right that has nothing to do with being a Christian, and we have it associated like it is. That was kind of what I was getting to. As we see these things that say that, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I'm pro-death penalty, pro-war, pro-guns rights, and no immigrants coming into this country, which I think is hilarious because camp would be really small if that was the case. <laughs> sorry, Brother Mike. That outweighs all that. I'm sorry. But being a Christian outweighs all that. Our, our belief should be that a gun, regardless if it's in our house, still has the opportunity to kill. And taking that chance of somebody dying from a gun being in a house is wrong and taking a life because of a gun regardless of if it's an accident or a purpose is still wrong. We're taking away their chance of salvation, mm -hmm. of their chance of giving their life over to the Lord and that's not our decision to make. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll repeat. The question is that the verse that says those that carry the sword would die by the sword, does that relate to the same topic? It's how do we attract, yeah. Yeah, to be honest, agreed. We're not going to debate gun rights this morning. <laughs> it's addressing it when we see it. And I, I'll be honest, I should have had a preface there like Bob did yesterday, what we're not going to do. Go ahead. So, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, and then I'll really take this off the rails. So, here's what I was just going to suggest. Oh, go ahead. You've got the. I just like to make one comment. I, I firmly believe that we're coming to a, a, a critical time in this country, both Canada and America. I believe we're close to a time where physical persecution could, uh, could be coming. And I, I wonder if we were to sit in a courtroom and be prosecuted and asked, you know, you say you're a Christian. Well, let's look at your Facebook. Mm -hmm. Let's look at your LinkedIn profile. Let's look at your Twitter. Let's just start looking at your social media. You say you're this, but... What does the evidence show? What does the evidence show? And, and that, to me, is, is... What do you say to that? Yeah. So I, I would be very careful with what you post and how you respond to posts and what you like. And Let's talk one with just a couple minutes, because just seeing the way that the, the comments went, let's not be so naive to think that this only happens in a political sense. I'm from a blue state. Some of you are from a red state. Some of you from red-blue states that we always count on to figure out who's going to, you know, between Ohio and Florida, that you're, you're the guys we need. But what about in our church? Let's not be so naive not to think that, okay, well, we've got in proverbial red states and blue states. And if we do too much associating with one side versus not the other side, we do exactly the same thing that we watch the Republicans and the Democrats do. And we become isolated and we become divided. And if you want to look at the history of what our churches have gone through over the years, you will find that it exists in those kind of things. But when I see what these members click like on these people's profiles that are just against you know, the scriptures, I'm like, where do these people stand? Yeah. And we... And to that point then, and looping what I was kind of saying is, do we ask about it? To Leanne's point, do we confront it? Do we talk about it? Do we ask the question? I know of a situation that took place the other day. Somebody posted something. 
thought it was benign, but it really worked up a couple of other people. And thank God that that got addressed because it caused an opportunity for folks to grow back together. If we don't do that, we're going to find ourselves with 50-50 splits like we've done in politics. Brother Ted. Oh, okay, sorry. Mike here and then Brother Ted. That's okay. Um, I was reminded of last year we had a prayer walk um, up in Martin Chapel. And one of the questions was, when you look in this mirror, what do you see? Who do you see? And a lot of us, Glenn made the comment when you're talking about social media, you know, there's a, also an algorithm that when your life is going really good, your posts are up high. Mm-hmm. When your life is not going so great, you don't post as much. Um, and I thought about the mirror. And when you're in that bad state, you have a lot of bad things to say about yourself and a lot of bad truths that you tend to believe that aren't necessarily true. Um, and one of the, the comments that was in the prayer walk is, who does God say that you are? Um, what are his truths about his people, about his children? Um, and I read a devotional this morning um, that talked about the different pieces of armor. And it says there's six pieces of armor that Paul referred to. The first three, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes were attached to the soldier's body and really never removed. But the second three, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, the sword were specific um, purposes for methods of attack. And if we have those first three always, we're not necessarily always in attack mode, but we need the truth. We need the breastplate. We need the shoes because we always need to be ready. And we need to have those truths of God in us. But like Myrtle said, what our truths are need to be according to God's word, not according to the circumstances that are around us. Thank you very much. I don't mean to make light of it, but you could share that later too so the rest of us could post it around and like it. (laughs) Uh, Brother Ted. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you very much. There was another hand that I missed. Oh, Lava. It extends past social media. For me, I don't post a lot on social media. I mean, uh, it's more your life is, is an extension of that too, right? Like, I'm not a morning person, and I'm not frequently grumpy in the morning, but I would prefer peace and quiet in the morning versus, you know, dancing and, like, really joyful and everything. So if you see me grumpy in the morning, it's not that I'm not joyful and not thankful. I'm just, I'm probably groggy, if anything. So, but one challenge is like getting to work Monday morning. If things aren't going well and I'm in a hurry and everything, and then I got to prepare for a meeting, it's like, it's, it's a challenge to try to be joyful and show other people that I'm still happy with my life. I'm thankful mm-hmm. for what God has given, but at the same, you know, and try to like push through that, you know, temporary challenge, I guess, and not look like a grump and look like someone that's not thankful. Well, and I think to that point, though, the projection of our lives is more than an, in, more than an individual occasion, right? And I think by, by your walk, they shall know you, right? By your fruits, they'll know you. And if I think if we can take our lives to make them more than snippets, we're so used to tweets and, you know, if you can't get it out in so and so many characters, then nobody wants to read it in the first place. Well, if our life's walk is more than just that flash in the pan that somebody gets to see, that's where the testimony of our faith can really exemplify itself. And to be careful that that's what we're, what we're intending and trying to show the world. Maybe one more comment, if there is one. If not, no problem. Oh, go ahead, Ben. I mean, it's not a new concept, but actually having meaningful interactions with someone is how you get to know them. So I think that's a reminder to all of us that social media has its benefits to a point, but it has its limitations. Mm -hmm. So how much time are we scrolling through useless information or getting embroiled in debates that can't be solved in sentences online, and how much are we actually having real interactions with people? Our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, coworkers, whatever it is, I think that is certainly slipping away from us and something that we need to, to reclaim beyond what social media does or doesn't do for us. Thank you very much. We've got a perfect example here. We've got endless space. I mean, it sounds coy, right? There's so many places to sit down and have a conversation. But how often do you sit with the same people at dinner? I don't expect you to come sit with me. We're a disaster with the kids. But my, my point being, there is opportunity, and we need to take them. We really need to take the opportunity and be thankful to the Lord that we have them because I genuinely mean what I said. If we're not careful as a faith and as a denomination, 
we're going to find ourselves in exactly the same place that the politics do and that generations before have found at times. And it's, it should be a warning for us and be thankful that we have the opportunity to, to tie up those binds that might be a little bit loose right now. With that, thank you for your participation.